Hey, welcome to the American Cattleman Podcast. Great to have you along for the ride. My name's Chap Ramsey, and I'll be your host. Coming up in this edition, we got a couple of women with big-time ties to the cattle industry. First up, Jacqueline Wilson from the Wilson Flying Diamond Ranch in the Sand Hills of Nebraska. We're talking history, beef quality, and, of course, NCBA. We'll also chat with singer-songwriter Roxy Copeland of Austin, Texas, who also has cattle family out in western Nebraska, where she learned the ropes during her summer visits. Now, influenced by the music scene in Austin, has come back to country music. All of that ahead, here on the American Cattleman Podcast. The American Cattleman Podcast is brought to you by Rawhide Portable Corrals out of Abilene, Kansas. RawhidePortableCorral.com by Miraco Cattle Waterers. Always accessible, always fresh, and distributed by Gallagher. Learn more at am.gallagher.com. And by TYM Tractors, affordable power for the farm and ranch. Find out more at tymworld.com. Now, here's your host, Chap Ramsey. Thanks, Hunter, and welcome to the American Cattleman Podcast, January 2024, and Happy New Year to y'all. Hey, you want to find out more about us on a regular basis? You can check out our Facebook page, American Cattleman Magazine. Good stuff there, and check out the latest issue. In the news, Americans, that's be us, love our beef. After all, it's what's for dinner. Well, hang on. MoneyWise is reporting the American beef industry is facing a pivotal moment, which is impacting the cost of your favorite meaty meals. Last month, Reuters reported that as the U.S. cattle herd shrinks to its lowest level in decades, the country is importing record amounts of beef while exporting less. The decline in cattle has been driven by years of severe drought damaging grazing lands and resulted in higher beef prices domestically. According to Texas-based cattle producer Pete Bonds, U.S. beef exporters face not only higher domestic prices, but also a stronger U.S. dollar. And that makes American beef less attractive in international markets. Reuters reports the U.S. beef cow herd in January of last year was the smallest since 1962 at 28.9 million head. More recent official data shows this number was higher in July when it reached 29.4 million. But that is still around 3% lower than the same period back in 2022. You know, it's almost time for NCBA and CattleCon 2024. And you can bet we're going to be following up on that story with some of the leading folks in the business. Yeah, we're headed to Orlando at the end of January with American Cattlemen Magazine, taking in the sights and visiting with some of the biggest names in the cattle industry. Yeah, hey, we got a booth there, and we'll be spending some time in the media room. So don't be a stranger. Come on by and say howdy. Coming up next, Jacqueline Wilson from the famed Wilson Flying Diamond Ranch. She's been part of the cattle industry for decades. And she not only runs the ranch with her dad, Blaine, but also has created several innovations. Think ranch-to-table beef nationwide. Jacqueline Wilson next on the American Cattleman Podcast. We understand cattle. That's why the world's first hydraulic corral just keeps getting better. Our system is simple, flexible, and durable. 
built to keep your cattle operations easy and trouble-free. All the best features of a portable system with unmatched customer service is why Rawhide is often imitated, never duplicated. The Rawhide Portable Corral. At TYM Tractors, our tractors are made to tackle each owner's distinct needs as they shape the world around them. We augment productivity through technology, quality, and durability, creating equipment specifically designed to deliver long-term value and overcome customer challenges. Check out our website, tym.world forward slash en hyphen us for more information. Hey, welcome back to the American Cattlemen Podcast. Great to have you all with us. My name is Chap Ramsey. I'm your host. And hey, what are we doing tonight? We are talking with Jacqueline Wilson. Now, now, if you don't know Jacqueline, you ain't in the beef business because she has got her fingers in almost everything from the Wilson Flying Diamond Ranch to Beef Quality Assurance Cow-Calf Award winner in 2023 and Flying Diamond Beef. We're going to talk about all that. Hey, Jacqueline, welcome to the American Cattleman Podcast. Great to have you with us. Thanks, Chap. I appreciate the invite. Yeah. Hey, you're 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 way out there in western Nebraska, and this is winter. What's it like? It's 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 definitely living on the tundra right now. So um, I think we're supposed to get to negative twenty eight huh? tomorrow night with about fifteen to twenty mile an hour winds. So yeah. I have a feeling something's going to freeze. <laughs> you know, I, I saw a comedian not too long ago talking about folks that like winter sports. You know, like cross-country skiing. What's the matter with them anyway? You know, you, you, yeah. Cry, and, and, People always ask if I ski, and I go, no, I'm, I'm outside in the winter all winter long. I have no desire to go and actually someplace where I have to do something I enjoy in the winter. There you go. <laughs> and, and he was talking about, you know, those people need some mental help. Because and and the folks that walk around with tennis rackets on their feet, they, they need to go see somebody. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I ain't a fan of winter. That's great. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the ranch. Since 1888. That's a long time, Jacqueline. Yes, sir. It is. I, I would like to say that I've I've had a lot to do with all of it, but only only for about the last 30 years. So, yep. Now, you but, ain't no, that old. Operation. You ain't that old, so. <laughs> no, actually, I'm a little older than that, but I was actually trying to think of when I actually did start getting involved. <laughs> well, you've thank got, you. But you've got an interesting background. Not only is this a, a an old-time western Nebraska ranch that you run with your father, Blaine, but but there's so much history wrapped up in here. What what are you running out there? They're red, I know. So, so we're, Yep, we're a commercial cow-calf operation, and we run long yearlings. Um, yep, been been Red Angus, and and well, Red Angus we started to incorporate in the 1970s, but now we do a Red Angus Simmental hybrid. Um, and yeah, it's it's been a, a great great operation. It's always kind of a little bit more outside the box thinking. We kind of you know that goes back to a couple generations before me. They kind of didn't do what was the norm at the time, and that's carried on into our mindset. And so yeah, it's been it's been a neat venture for sure. What's the What's the benefit of a Red Angus Semitol cross? 
Well, I think for us, the benefit, it's been twofold. You know, when we were when we were just strictly focusing more on a high percentage red Angus, we were starting to see a couple of the issues pop up. Um, there were some udders, some feed issues, depending on what bloodlines or genetics you used. And, and then and then we would really focused on a, a really high maintenance. Yeah, I mean, sorry, really low maintenance, highly efficient animal. And so what we what we saw with those was that we were not really improving our yield quality to where it should be. And so we started bringing in some Simmental bloodlines. Our yields were going up when we would take cattle to harvest. And not only that, we were able to clean up some of those udder issues and, mm. and some of those feed issues that we've had in the past too. So I, I think it's a really good cross. Um, it, it seems to do both great for us on the on the terminal side, but also on the female side. So it's, it's been a great addition. As, as you score them uh, on the rack, are they scoring pretty high? Yeah, they are. You know, we, we are sending everything high choice to prime, especially to our direct to consumer business, fine diamond beef. And, and then we're also seeing that continue on to anything that we send to the big four. And so, yeah, we're really pleased. Um, but I think it's also goes back to how we develop them, how we choose for genetics. And also, you know, we're, we're really adamant about collecting data the entire way through from the day that calf is born all the way up to the time it goes onto a consumer's plate. And without that data, I don't think we would be near as efficient as we are for sure. You know, I've talked to so many producers out there and data is driving everything, it seems like. You know, folks are, are, are really paying attention to that data and trying to match that with what consumers are wanting. And and you've created Flying Diamond Beef, which is a direct ranch to consumer. Uh, how did that come about? Sure. So that started in 2019, right before COVID hit. And that was a, that was a, the brain child project of myself and two of my best friends. Unfortunately, one has passed away at that time. Hmm. And so we started that process with the you know, with the concept in, in place that we would be able to really tell consumers where their product came from and be able to build that entire storyline from birth to plate. Um, and then as it's kind of developed throughout the years, you know, now now it's a complete traceable product um, from the time that it's born on the ranch. Um, we we bring product back on the ranch and stored it shipped directly from the ranch and it's shipped all over the U.S., both by by ground and also by air. And so. What it's really done for us is it's it's is it has it been financially viable? I mean, it's, there's times it's a break even at best, and we only send a small part of our of our overall herd to the DTC portion of it. But it's really let us kind of see what consumer trends are, what's going on in consumers' mind, and and give them a place that they can reach out if they have any questions. And I feel that we're providing a a, a place where they can say, okay, I. I don't know very many ranchers, but I know these ranchers and I, I have these questions about how they're, how they're raising cattle and, and maybe about the beef cycle and, and the whole supply chain. And, and we're able to clear up some of those misconceptions out there. And for that, I think it's been a great addition to our, our business. But then on the other side, too, it's really allowed us to see how our cattle are performing once once we take that hide off of, you know, before I've always looked at our cattle from the from the skin in and now I'm starting to look at them from the beef out and it's it's changed I, some of the ways that we've raised beef and to continue to feed beef and even and breed and and think about different sire selections or dam selections in our cow herd so it's, it's really opened us up to a lot of different areas of improvement and when you when you talk about your uh, your customers flying diamond beef what's the profile of them folks are they from around where you're at or are they in the city or how do they hear about you 
So surprisingly, a lot of our customers are east and west coast. We we ship significantly both directions. We also ship a lot down to Arizona, um, Texas. We do two delivery routes, one in Nebraska and one in Colorado. So over on the front range, most of them um, are are live in an urban area. May have had a a grandfather, a great grandfather, or grandmother that owned an, an operation or a farm or something, but are but are at least one generation removed from ag, if not multiple generations, and and so that's it's been a really really neat group of individuals to get to know and to build those relationships with, and and it's you know we have a number of repeat customers throughout the U.S. Now how they got a hold of us, most of it's been through social media. Um, we had a YouTube influencer out at the ranch uh, a little over a year ago, and that that video went viral. And a lot of our customers have started with that video, or you know they found us just coming along on social media or something. But yeah, it's been it's been a really really neat neat ordeal. Well, one of the things I think that stands out about your place, the Wilson Flying Diamond Ranch, is your website. I you know I look at a lot of websites out there. For producers and uh, in regular business, yours is stunning, Jacqueline. Just stunning. <laughs> well, thanks, Chap. I'd like to take a lot of credit for that, but that's that's my right hand in the beef business, Gracie Ascoli. She did a phenomenal job with that. Um, they've been on board here for a little over a year now, and one of the things she wanted to do when she came in and she she asked me, she goes, "Do you mind if I redesign your website?" And I said, "Go for it." You know, we we have the photos, we have the videos, and. And she was definitely the person that made them all look good. So she did a phenomenal job. When it's hands-on work over at the Wilson Flying Diamond Ranch, how much hands-on have you got there, Jacqueline? Oh, every day. <laughs> every day if I'm not on the road or not at a meeting. So, yeah, my dad and I, we, we, we're 50-50 partners and on the operation. So I take care of all the stuff on the cow side, and he takes care of the stuff. We call it on the ranch side, but he enjoys, you know, oh, Fixing things, <laughs> I would like to say, I break it, then I help you fix it. It's kind of how it works. But no, it's been a really great, uh, you know, great partnership. We have a great team in place right now with, with Grace and Salvetti. They, they've been on now a little over a year. And then we utilize a lot of interns, too, during those high, you know, those high traffic times, like calving, um, some of the cattle work and hay throughout the summer and whatnot. And so I, I feel like we've got a really solid team right now. They're going to, I'm actually going to be trying traveling quite a bit this next year. Um, I just got word a, a couple weeks ago that I'm a Newfield 2024 scholar. So I'll be about 14 weeks this year out of the country. Um, wow. And so they're they're really going to have to step up. And I, I think they're looking forward to it too, though. How high strung are you? <laughs> you sound like you're, 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 you're a goer. We probably probably need a bit. That's probably not going to be regulated for show use. <laughs> I understand. Hey, talking about that, I, I watched some of the videos on your website, which are fantastic, by the way. But but one thank of the, you. Yeah, they really are. But I saw you riding an ATV, and I thought, well, I don't know. They still use horses, and then of course the next video, there you are, mounted up. Uh, how much do you use horses in in uh, Western Nebraska? I, it, we have a we have a good combination of the two, you know. Um, we definitely utilize ATVs and UTVs, um, and and we we use those year round. I mean, even in the winter time, instead of pickups, just to help with some of the erosion because the sand hills can be so susceptible right. um, to erosion. And then, you know, um, if we're working cattle or, or needs a horse, we'll grab a horse and and go that route too. And I I feel like I'm not a I'm not a 
I'm not a pick one or the uh, over the other. I think they both have a place in our operation yep. for sure. Uh, and it just depends on what's going to be more efficient and a little more handier that day. Well, they look like some good horses. Hey, t- t- let's talk about conservation practices. Because that's one of the things that that's high on your list. I mean, you make a big deal uh, from the Wilson Flying Diamond Ranch about conservation. And, and you just mentioned how loose that soil is out in the... Uh, Sand hills. So t- talk to us a little bit about how important that is and what you're doing. Yeah, I think, you know, the conservation piece of our operation has been in place for, for decades. And, and that goes back to my grandfather and great my, my great grandfather, both. They were they were avid environmentalists. I mean, they really worked on bridging that land cattle gap. And and I think they did a phenomenal job of it. So that's carried on into our mindset of both my dad and myself, you know, whether it be things like developing bird habitats or planting trees, which in the sandhills, we like to joke about that because there, there really is not needy <laughs> trees in the sand, in our part of the sandhills. So, you know, I mean, but it's, it's a huge focus. And I think you have to, you have to have a bull at the same time. You, you cannot be focused on conservation and expect your cow herd to perform to, to what you want it to do and vice versa. You know, you can have the best cows in the world, but if you're not taking care of the land, it's not going to work either. And so I think there's definitely a place that they both go hand in hand. And that's something that we continue to strive for. Might that surprise some people that aren't familiar with agriculture that, that folks, on the ranch are so involved in environmental issues? Oh, absolutely it is. You know, we we hosted numerous tours this this last year and had a number of international guests out at the ranch from everywhere from China to Brazil to the UK. And I and I think one of the things that they were so surprised of is they don't realize that these wide open spaces are still out there in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, when they have these concepts overseas of of confinement facilities or what they call factory farms. And, and this is their mindset that they have. So being able to bring them out to our operation, show how the environment and the cattle all go hand in hand and they benefit each other is huge. And, and, and it's a complete game changer for some of them because they go back they share it with their friends. They share it on social media. And all of a sudden, there's people out there that are realizing that, oh, wow, we, we had no clue this even existed still out there. It is a surprise for many people. Jacqueline Wilson, ladies and gentlemen, is our guest on American Cattlemen Podcast. She's from the Wilson Flying Diamond Ranch, which uh, you and I are going to see each other here in just a little bit. at the uh, they, cal- they call it the Cattle Con down there in Orlando. They, they do, but I, I prefer to call it the National Cattlemen's Beef Association <laughs> Convention. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> me, me, <Right>. me. <laughs> Sounds like a Madison Avenue group. Anyway. But, yep, absolutely. It'd be so, great to see you down there. And I'm oh, bringing the yeah. boss man with Yeah, We're going to bring Gail down there, and we're going to have us a time. One of the things that I was so impressed about, and you can explain what this means, last year— you guys won the Beef Quality Assurance Cow-Calf Award. What's that mean? Well, so so Beef Quality Assurance Program was a, was established a couple decades ago on behalf of the on the National Beef Checkoff. And and what it did is it came about at a time where consumer perception of of how producers were raising livestock was continuing to go down. Um, consumers were not happy with the thoughts of, you know, whether it focused on animal welfare, animal handling, or any aspect of, of that supply chain. And so the Beef Quality Assurance Program was established. 
And what they've done and been able to do since then is is to certify both producers, you know, everybody from producers to to stockers to feedlot guys to even transport, you know, transporters or cattle truckers too, um, can get BQA certified. And and it's what's the neat part about it is because of the beef quality assurance program and the steps that they've done, we've really been able to change some of that consumer perception. So. They started doing these national awards a couple of years ago, I believe. Um, one of them is the is the cow calf producer of the year. We were very humbled to be um, to be nominated by both our our state cattlemen's affiliate and also our our state BQA director Jesse Fulton, um, who put our name in the mix. And for some unknown reason, we ended up winning it out of about I think there's about nine hundred thousand uh, cattle producers wow. in the U.S. So we were very humbled by it. And and to us, what it means is to just keep doing what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. And that's, and that's focusing on the land and the livestock and being sure that we're able to do the best that we can for both of them, you know, to follow those proper procedures and protocols from anything from antibiotic use to, to animal handling, to low stress handling, to how those cattle are, you know, are traced um, in terms of data and anything along the way. But at the same time, be really conscientious of things like employee safety, um, and some of those other aspects that maybe maybe all producers don't necessarily think about. So yeah, my my dad and I were able to get down to New Orleans to re- receive the award. Um, it was that was probably one of the it was it it by far up there is probably in the top experience of my life. Being able to share that with him and and have him walk across the stage with me on that, um, just because he's committed every single ounce of himself to the operation too over the years. So it was it was a really neat neat moment. Yeah, I, you know I. I, I just love doing these conversations with folks because I find out so much about how absolutely precious the family relationship is on the ranch or on the farm. You know, we, we, we talk to a lot of folks, and, and, and sometimes I think that what we're sharing needs to be said not just in the cow-calf or in the agricultural community, but spread out there among other people because they will find out the, the heart, the heart of America really is in rural America, and it's a wonderful thing. Hey, final question for you, Jacqueline. We're going to go to Orlando. Kind of hang out a little bit down there. What, what are you looking forward to doing when you get to CattleCon or NCBA? Oh, I've, there's so many things that I look forward to. So I'm, I, this is my this is my final year serving as chair of international trade for NCBA. So of course, my committee meeting will be there. Um, we'll be looking at if there's any upcoming policy that's going to be coming before the board of directors and also those committees. You know that then will get pa- passed on to the membership to pass, and that's kind of be the directions that NCBA can take on the policy side the next, you know, the next year. But then along with you know along with those policy discussions, that the trade show is is phenomenal. You know, it's it's acres upon acres of of the best and brightest. I feel in the cattle business. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's great to see so many friends. You might, it's funny you call them friends and you may only see them yeah, once or twice yeah. a year, but you know, they become good. They become a part of your family. And, and so I think it's just, for me, I've, I've been going to those conventions now. I think this is probably my 10th or 11th one. And every single one of them, I come back just completely reinvigorated about the beef industry and it, and it continues to push me to, to continue to be better, you know, not only for our operations, but to, to help those producers out there too. Yeah, I just lied to you. I always have the final question, then there's a final, final question. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) So I want to ask you a little bit about USDA 
programs and policies. How much do you spend in time watching that? You know, I've I've got to do more over the over the last year and a half with that. I actually went over to uh, Belgium. It would have been a year ago, last December, to speak on behalf of USDA with their DG Agra, which is which is the USDA equivalent over in the European right, Union. Right. And so since then, you know, and 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 you know, being introduced to a lot more of the USDA programs and how they work and the thought processes, I think that relationship's important. If nothing else, is they need. There's there's a lot of bureaucrats in those offices and they need to understand, you know, what what rural America looks like out here. And I sometimes feel that we need to continue to bridge those gaps because at the end of the day, they're making rules and regulations that may not fit our operation for sure. Right. You know, one of the things that uh, we're kind of close to is uh, Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. He's an Iowan and uh, there's a guy that knows farming. I mean, he he's he's a rural guy, comes from. A rural town in in Iowa, been in D.C. for a while, but at least I think that Tom understands, and he was governor of the state of Iowa, I think he understands uh, a lot about what's going on. Now, there may be some undersecretaries that don't get a clue, but hey, I I think Tom's kind of got a handle on things. Just a personal thought process. Hey, Jacqueline, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, today, I, I really do appreciate it. I am so looking forward to setting eyes on you when we get down to Orlando. No matter what it's called, we'll, we'll have a good time, I'm sure. Sounds great. Thanks, Chap. I appreciate it. Yep, that's one of our newest friends, Jacqueline Wilson from the Wilson Flying Diamond Ranch out in the Sand Hills of Nebraska. All right, hang in there with us. We got more coming up here on the American Cattleman Podcast. Therapies, the maternal bovine appeasing substance. This could be the most valuable calf crop in history. Get the most out of your calves. Wean your calves with Therapies. Studies have demonstrated that Therapies calves are 30 to 40 pounds heavier 45 days post weaning. Block the stress with Therapies. Less stress means healthier and heavier calves. Learn more at Therapies.com. That's F-E-R-A-P-P-E-A-S-E dot com. We understand cattle. That's why the world's first hydraulic corral just keeps getting better. Our system is simple, flexible, and durable. Built to keep your cattle operations easy and trouble-free. All the best features of a portable system with unmatched customer service is why Rawhide is... Often imitated, never duplicated. The Rawhide Portable Corral. Hey, welcome back to the American Cattleman Podcast. Great to have you aboard again today. We are headed down to Austin, Texas. And in Austin, Texas is singer-songwriter Roxy Copeland. I've had the advantage of knowing Roxy for a number of years. I watched her through her career. And uh, she is uh, just an amazing, talented young woman. And we're about to have you meet her right now on ACP. Roxy, welcome to the American Cattleman Podcast. Great to have you with us. Well, thank you for having me. So let's talk about you. You, you, (laughs) I've watched your career for some time. And uh, 
kind of jazz and and classical music is a background of yours, but but also you have a family member that owns or owned a cattle ranch in western Nebraska. Tell us about that young life and and what was going on out there. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I was born in Nebraska, actually, a little town called Gothenburg, which is famous for being the last stop on the Pony Express. Uh, And then my parents moved out to Washington State, which is where my dad is from originally. I grew up in Aberdeen, Washington, but I spent a good chunk of every summer back in Nebraska with my grandparents. My grandpa owned both a farm and uh, a big ranch out in western Nebraska. The ranch was in Arthur, Nebraska. The farm was in Ogallala. So, yeah, we'd spend a chunk of every summer out there, me and my brothers and some cousins. He ran around 10,000 head of cattle when I was a kid. Yeah, I did a lot of... uh, uh, farming as well, alfalfa, soybeans, beets, corn, of course. Uh, yeah, so he um, he was a major influence on me, and he and my uncles, his sons, were uh, some of the folks who first bought me country CDs. Mm. But and that was an interesting time for you, because if I get this right, your your father. Wasn't much of a country fan. No, that's a, that's a fair assessment. I mean, he he grew up listening to um, a lot of sixties and seventies horn music. He loved jazz. He loved classical, and he saw country. He he just thought the music was simplistic. I believe was the term he used. Um, of course, my mother's side of the family absolutely loved it. So uh, she had it on all the time whenever Dad was out of the house. <laughs> You know, so I grew up on the one hand listening to country and then my, you know, like listening to my dad's stuff as well. So I I was very fortunate to have uh, a, a large breadth of musical influences. Um, but but country and jazz were kind of the two defining things that, um, well, music genres that, that I grew up with. And I started out thinking those were diametrically opposed and then realized, uh, you know, like, Later on, no, they're both the music of the people. They're both about telling stories. Uh, and it took me a while musically to figure out how I could combine these two loves of mine in my own songs. So that's kind of what I'm up to. Right. And I first met you, Roxy, in Iowa. It was at an art fair. It was in downtown Des Moines. And I was walking along and, and listening to stuff, and I, I ducked into this tent. And I believe you and a guy by the name of Max Wellman were there. Ah. <laughs> yes, I remember this. Yeah. And I was so captivated by both of you. I mean, Max Wellman is owns a place in, in Des Moines, Iowa called Noche. It's a jazz place. And uh, and then and so I, I interviewed him and several other people on a radio show once long ago and, and you as well and i've watched you move a bit since you moved to austin you were in milwaukee for a while and, and this is how <laughs> people are going to think i'm just a stalker but, but... <laughs> well you know i mean so it's true i've i've moved around a fair bit i mean i went to college in iowa and that's how I wound up in Des Moines, and that's where we met. So I was there for a while, 
And then I married an academic, and it turns out that the way that academics get raises is, uh, you know, by accepting offers from other institutions. So he got an offer in Milwaukee, and we went up to Milwaukee, and then uh, he got one in Canada. We went to Canada for a bit, Vancouver, BC. Uh, uh, that wasn't in the right order. I think it was Iowa, Vancouver, then Milwaukee, and then he got one from Texas, which I was super excited about because I had always, like, I visited Texas. I loved the scene in Austin. And as much as I adore the Midwest, man, those winters there. Right. I'm just not built for them. Right. I'm not. <laughs> uh, and so we we came down here, and it's been a really good fit. I mean, as a musician, you know, you frequently play on the road. And as long as you've got your instrument and your voice, you can live just about anywhere. But as you also know, some places have better music scenes than others. Right. Right. And Austin is just about the top of the heap for that, especially... You know, if you tend to kind of have this niche of like Americana, country and jazz, that's that's a, a different amalgamation. Well, you can cross you can cross the street. I mean, in Austin, Texas, you can go uh, from one place that maybe features jazz or contemporary music and walk across the street and do country. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. We we are known as the live music capital of the world. And I tell folks that come to visit, it doesn't matter what type of music you love. You can find it somewhere in Austin any night of the week. I don't care if it's polka, heavy metal, blues, jazz, roots, country. We got it. Yeah. We're talking with Roxy Copeland, ladies and gentlemen. She is uh, with herself. I mean, she's an amazing talent. And uh, we're going to get you some of this music here in just a little bit. So I want to now focus on your transition. You, 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 you talk about telling a story and country music is, is that level. I mean, that's what it's all about. And you recently released a song that's gotten rave reviews. Tell us about that story. Where'd that song come from? I reckon you're talking about, I come from crazy. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, you know, so during the pandemic, there wasn't a lot of live music happening. You know, the venues shut down and for musicians and a whole lot of other folks, it was a really rough time because if we don't play music, we don't get paid. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, anyhow, I was trying to figure out a way to keep myself from, frankly, going crazy <laughs> around the house. Uh, and I decided to kind of look to family dynamics for inspiration, because those are the folks that I was talking a lot with on the phone. Um, and uh, my family was kind of split on the whole vaccine thing. So some of them had some pretty strong feelings in either direction. Uh, and basically, that's what inspired I Come From Crazy, was just like just the, the dichotomy of opinions and the, the viciousness with which people espouse these. Um, and I figured, well, I've either got to laugh or cry. And uh, I think I'm, I'm going to laugh and write the song. And I, I really think that everybody's got at least a little crazy in their family. And if you think you don't have any crazy in your family, the crazy is you. <laughs> I could attest to all of that. Uh, but isn't it interesting? You know, I always tell people that you can pick your socks, but you can't pick your family. And, uh, exactly. 
Yeah, and, and, and so I Come From Crazy is kind of a, a story about, well, about you and your relationship. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> very much so with uh, my, my family runs the political gamut in terms of opinions. And, you know, it's uh, the holiday dinners can get lively. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's really, it, the song was supposed to be kind of a, a microcosm of the, the larger issue with family dynamics and that, you know, we all have arguments with our family members. We, we all don't see eye to eye. Um, and every single person in a family thinks some other member is crazy. Uh, and you know, they're, they're probably right. We're all, we're all a little crazy in some way. And you've been, uh, also you've been marketing all of this, I suspect on your own pretty much, but, uh, you've got some great videos out there. We'll have links to all of this, ladies and gentlemen, up on APC. Uh, so you can see Roxy and, uh, see her perform. Uh, it, it, so who's shooting all that video for you? Well, speaking of family, I have a very talented cousin, um, oh. Tony Bonacci, and he lives in Nebraska as well, Omaha. Um, and so anyhow, I hollered at my cousin uh, because he he's a film director for a living. This is what he does. And I was like, hey, I've got these new songs. I'd like to shoot a couple music videos with you. You want to come down to Texas? Let's go hang out in Chilingua, Texas on the southern border there. Um, and Big Bend National Park, let's shoot a couple of videos. And he said, I'm game. So he flew down and we drove across Texas mm. and uh, set up camp for a few days. And it was just me and Tony with his camera and a few props we brought running back and forth across the desert. But uh, it's, we, had a, we had a really good time and he's a super talented guy. And it just, uh, we had a lot of fun. And we will send more people to you. Uh, on APC show, so they can figure out what the heck this Roxy Copeland is up to. Final question for you, Roxy. What's next? What do you what, what do you see coming next for you and your career? Well, I've got some uh, exciting performances lined up for next year that I'm not legally allowed to talk about yet. But if you keep it on my website, they'll start popping up. And of course, since the last album came out in 2022, I'm writing new songs eventually those will uh, coalesce into a new album <laughs> i've been kind of um, just absorbing ideas and working on the new material and debuting them every so often it shows i like to kind of do test runs with my songs so i'll take them out and play them live for folks and the wow. ones that really seem to connect and resonate um, those are the ones that frequently make it onto the album so i'm in that test kitchen phase so to speak wow Exciting life for a young woman, originally from what Washington State, who has uh, been all over the place and uh, finally has settled some roots in Austin, Texas, with her music business. Her name is Roxy Copeland, ladies and gentlemen, and we will have links to all this up on the radio blog. Hey, thanks so very much for being with us. I appreciate this, and 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 good luck to you. We uh, we, we think the world of Roxy Copeland, and pleasure to have you on ACP. Well, thank you so much, Chap. I appreciate being here. I come from crazy. It's sad, but it's true. And if I've been drinking, ain't that much I won't do. 
myself to But I come from crazy Not that that's news to you That's our pal Roxy Copeland and I come from crazy. We're going to shut the gate on this edition of the American Cattleman Podcast. Make sure that you check us out online every time that you're on the computer because we're going to be there all the time. Hey, and if you're hanging around, we'll see you in Orlando, NCBA CattleCon 2024.